Gare. Yes. I have a confession. Okay. Should I shut the recorder off? Should, no, should let's wor- let's keep okay going. Let's world keep going. This? It's fine. Okay, All here's right. a confession. I can be kind of bossy. What? <laughs> oh. Oh, really, Kel? You think so? Yes. Um, <laughs> and my question for you is this: You're my father. Well, was I always this way? Oh, that's quite a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> yes, Kelly, I have always loved you the way you are. Mm-hmm. Okay, wonderful. You you know your own mind, mm-hmm. and you aren't. A, Afraid to express it, and I I think very highly of that. Well, thank you. What a nice thing to say. I well, well, okay. you're within striking distance. This is true. Yes, <laughs> and and to be honest, I um. You weren't being honest. No, no, I'm I'm continuing continuing to be honest. All right. I can see how some of this has has come from my mother, um. But let's continue to also be honest and say that you too were super bossy at one point to you Mm, mm, mm. nope i'm gonna get i'm gonna we're gonna get there but first you are getting bridged with gary and kelly i'm kelly halston erickson that's my dad jerry halston and i can talk you don't have to boss me (laughs) (laughs) this quiet you this is the podcast that's light on duluth history and heavy on nostalgia Whatever you say, Kel. All right, keep up with me. Here we go. All right, so listen, you were yeah. a boss at Diamond Tool. This is number three oh. in the Diamond Tool suite. Is that what this is? This is number three, the last and I'm final. I'm not at all prepared for thinking about this oh, even. Okay, okay let me here switch we go. gears. Here we go. Yes, yes, I, I, I was a foreman. Okay, what was, it? what was the exact title? Well, it, it changed over the years. Uh, in 1976, I was 25 years old, and I uh, was approached to become a working foreman, mm-hmm. which meant that I would re- remain a union member, and I would be a supervisor of others, and as such, I could also perform the daily work as if I were not a boss, so that I, not only could I train people but if something needed to be done and there was no one to do it, I could do it. I could just do that job. Oh, cool. So they doubled your work, so they doubled your pay, right? No. Oh, no. what? Uh, I got a, a significant wage increase of uh, possibly a quarter an hour. Hello. And uh, with the increase came the opportunity to work an extra half hour at overtime every day. Awesome. Oh, so what a privilege. it was all calculated out and... Uh, Oh man, we we were oh, we were on the top at that point. It was mm-hmm. it was terrific, mm-hmm. and I got the uh, position uh, because uh, first off they thought I deserved it uh, because the quote uh, was I was production minded. You could get in the zone. I could get in the zone, and uh, my job prior to that was I set up the machinery. The machine, you know, basically uh, went up and down and held a uh, fixture that would hold whatever tool. And you had to put cutters on this machine, and you had to put the right fixture on, and you had to set them all up so that when you were done, the machine was making a plier, an 8-inch plier, a 6-inch plier, a 10-inch groove joint, an 8-inch groove joint. The machine itself was capable of all of that, but the setup person had to set it up so it would work and turn out right. Sure. And with that, they were always looking for improvements in production, which meant get things done a little easier, people can do them faster, 
you know, what do you got? And I came up with a lot of ideas as to, hey, why don't we do this or why don't we try that? Uh, there was some electronic uh, things that I proposed and put into place uh, that increased production and uh, performed operations that they were adding to the tools to make them better and all that. So anyway, I was judged production-minded. Mm-hmm. And as such, I should be a supervisor, a leader of men. Uh, there were no women there as well. There was a couple, I'll take them back, from World War II. Mm-hmm. But yeah. uh, a leader of uh, people. Yeah, people leader. Okay. Let's say people. And, yeah. and, then, and then what? Yeah. You didn't stop there. Well, no, but I, I will say that the position was open because a gentleman who was a foreman upstairs, there was upstairs and downstairs, mm-hmm. an upstairs foreman was retiring. And a downstairs foreman wanted the upstairs job because it was a little easier up there. Mm-hmm. It, so that left a vacancy in the departments I was working in. Mm-hmm. So I took the job. Dominoes. Yep. Now, it also played out that it would be afternoon shift. So, okay, I, I'm up for it. You know, this is a promotion. This is good stuff. Uh, so, I, yeah, I took that. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you? What else are you going to do? I don't know. You know, it's the factory. <laughs> yeah, you got to keep keep it rolling. What the heck? Oh, yeah. All right, and so then what? Um, I did that uh, afternoon shift for a while, and then uh, my, my friend Joe, and I spoke of Joe before. Joe was the uh, gentleman from Yugoslavia. Uh, the one who spoke uh, five languages. I, I told the story about that. Yeah, I speak five languages, and, uh, so yeah. if you only speak one. Joe it, was yeah. going on vacation. Joe was like 56, 57 years old. Joe was going on vacation, and uh, he hadn't been feeling real well, so he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, ah, Joe, we, we're going to put you in the hospital for some tests. And Joe went in the hospital, had a, some cardiac stuff going on, and uh, tested, and... Uh, and the doctor said, no, you're good. Now, Joe was going on vacation for three weeks, and this was uh, the first week of the three that he was in the hospital. But the doctor said, no, you're good. Go ahead. And uh, Joe was uh, getting ready to go. I guess he was getting dressed, and he dropped dead. No. <gasps> Joe. Oh, I felt terrible. You know, I <laughs> I really liked Joe. Joe was a great guy. He was a friend. Uh, he lived next door to Grandma. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Joe. he was a neighbor to Grandma. Jeez. And, uh, well, that left an opening then mm-hmm. uh, because there again, there was the great uh, foreman shuffle. Yep. And, uh, well, then I was on the day shift. Okay. Right. This is good. Better. Better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That was doing pretty well. And, well, on the day shift, I uh, said some things to uh, the chairman of the board I shouldn't have. And I found myself on the midnight shift. <laughs> is that a true story? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. What did you say? I don't want to get into it. Oh. However, <laughs> however, oh my friends, I, he's keeping secrets from us. Okay. Y- oh yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. No, it was regarding production and the way something should be done, mm-hmm. and I disagreed with him. Okay. All right. It was just that simple. Yeah. And he didn't like it when people disagreed with him. Oh, boy. All right. One of those types. And no, I'll say, the gentleman was. He was terrific. Oh, because yeah. He Super knew. T- sounds terrific. No, he Vindictive knew and terrific. All of the work <laughs> that needed to be done there, how it should be done, and it was going to be done his way. Mm. So anyway, I'm off to third shift. Cool. All right. And I thought, you know, I can't let this ride. I have to, uh, I, I have to go talk to him. 
uh, John. Mm-hmm. It was John Swanstrom. And uh, no, I'll do my third shift. That's fine. And uh, so I went through his son, Jack, who was vice president, and said, I, I need to talk to John. And he said, oh, no, no don't do that. <laughs> and I said, no, I do need to. I got to straighten this out. And it, uh, he said, no, no. And so I went to the personnel guy, Don. And I said, Don, I'm going to go talk to John. I got to straighten this out. And Don says, no, you leave the sleeping dog lie. Don't, don't do that. And I just, I couldn't. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went and talked to John and, uh, you know, essentially told him that, um, of course, you, <laughs> you're the chairman of the board, you're president. I, whatever you say goes, but if you're looking for somebody who has no other thoughts other than trying to parallel yours, you got the wrong guy. Yeah. I, I am looking out for the best of the company as I know it, as I see it. I have a fresh set of eyes. Yes. And there will be times when I disagree with you. That's going to happen. That's what you're paying me for. Now, when you walk away and we've disagreed about something or when you walk away after you've told me to do something, even though I don't agree with it, I'm not going to curse your name as you walk away. Mm-hmm. I said, I know there are those who do. I'm not that guy either. So that's what it is. You know, if you want to take me off the job, if you want to fire me, whatever. But that's what you got, okay? Mm-hmm. Let me think this over, John says. Oh, he has to think it over. Oh, yeah, brother. Okay. And I got word, not from him, but from his son, Jack, and from Don, said, what did you say to John? I said, what I said to John was between he and I. And, and, and all of us now. And, <laughs> yeah, and everyone else yeah. now. But most of, the, most of the players are dead, mm-hmm. dead now. Mm-hmm. But that was essentially the conversation. And they said, we would n- never have thought that you would have survived that, going to talk to him about that. And he said, he really likes you. Oh, <laughs> wow. All right, all right, all right. So all right. I looked up at the sky and said, thank you. And he immediately <laughs> and, uh, took you off of midnight, the well, midnight shift? No, because oh. everybody had been shuffled around anyway. And the midnight shift actually was okay. That was about the time we built the house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd work all night, sleep a few hours during the day, and go work on the house in the daylight. Oh, boy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that moved right along. And, of course, things changed over time. And... Um, I became uh, the supervisor of the heat treat department. I had three different departments I was watching on my midnight shift because there weren't so many people. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a, a position that had opened up because of people changing around in the heat treat. Nice days, day shift. I'm in. Is it hot? You bet it's hot. Heat treat, see? Heat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I took the uh, day shift and uh, did that, and in time... I ended up being a materials manager, I guess was the official title of the place mm-hmm. uh, for the last uh, four years it was there. So was it weird um, when you when you kind of made that initial step into supervising to suddenly be managing people that you had previously worked with? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, well, first off, I was 26 years old and I was supervising people who were up to and close to retirement age. Mm-hmm. In a union shop. Yeah. How was that? I never at that point pictured myself having any degree 
of um, I never thought I'd be good of working good with working with people. Mm-hmm. I never was a people person. I have always been a thing person, or at least up until that point. That you know, put me in the control room, not in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. and I guess even with this, kind of hidden, but this is going. <laughs> this yeah. is going out, and all of a sudden, boy, you learn a lot of things. Uh, fortunately. It was just shortly after I took the uh, position as working foreman that there was a strike. And as supervisor, we got paid during the strike. Oh. Not to cross the picket lines, but uh, Jack uh, felt that his supervisors needed to get, because he needed loyalty. So we are going to do uh, developmental classes and things during the strike for supervisors. So I learned a lot of stuff from just seminars. We went down to the London House mm-hmm. on London Road, and uh, we had our afternoon uh, sessions of, of classes, and it was very helpful. Uh, we did a lot of role-playing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, here's a situation, and uh, went from being pretty shy about addressing a lot of situations to uh, pretty bold Yeah. in that uh, it always boiled down to if you have a confrontation, a serious confrontation with an employee, it's you or them. What does that mean? It's just let's that get simple. in a, get in the ring and fight till grim death. <laughs> like, what does that mean? More or less, yeah, yeah. What I yeah. don't understand you, that you don't accept excuses. You don't ask for excuses. Uh, you know, it was a different time, Kel. It was uh, you know fifty years ago or so, forty years anyway. That. Um, somebody who's chronically late like I was when I first yes. started oh my goodness. that you know you don't ask why were you late you know you've been late twice if you're late a third time we're going to have to put a written warning in your file and the fourth time you're going to be dismissed yeah and you don't ask why were you late because if you ask why were you late that's like saying I need an excuse for you yeah no there is no excuse this is the way it's going to work period yeah there's a certain amount of um that this in a way it's sort of nice if you're a supervisor and an employee like you know there's a like clear line in the sand here oh absolutely that we do not cross and i could see i mean it seems like pretty harsh but it's also it is what it is pretty easy to understand yeah i mean you know, you know the job is what it is what were the, the work pay roles? is what it is work or get fired right it's very simple <laughs> Instead of interesting, yeah, yeah, different times though. Different yeah, times, um, and there was also uh, the words that were spoken to me is that by the personnel guy, and it was a guy, a single person mm-hmm. was HR, that I will stand behind you, one hundred percent, for whatever you've done. All you have to do is be honest with me as to what you did. Yeah, and he said, "I'll take care of you." And he was that way. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it worked. Mm-hmm. So you could all go into something with confidence knowing that you would be backed up. Yeah. I I haven't done any kind of management or supervisory thing since the Diamond Tool experience. So I don't know how that works nowadays. Mm-hmm. If you also have to look over your shoulder as you do things because they're going to come down from behind and get you. Well, it probably depends on your workplace. 
different, yeah. oh, sure. d- very different um, types of places, depending on who's on who's in charge, for sure. Um, okay, so now historically, Diamond was purchased by the Triangle Corporation in 1983. Yeah, what was that? Was that? Did you? Was there a transition there that was kind of weird, or is it all kind of like oh god, same thing <laughs> or? <laughs> It was uh, fascinating, apparently, and this is, uh, I'll have to be corrected if I'm wrong on this, but my understanding is that Otto Swanstrom's widow held the major shares of the corporation. And she didn't, she was an old woman living in Florida. She didn't need a whole bunch of money. She just simply needed the money uh, required to get by and live well, Mm -hmm. which she got from, you know, from the corporation it was all good and when she died her heirs really kind of wanted something more than what she had been getting oh all right so being the major shareholders we want to sell our shares and a perfect right to do that and i certainly understand that and uh, uh, john swanstrom and his son jack and i believe it was jack's sister all had a percentage of the corporation and uh, I think uh, Hampton Connell had some too he was a engineer from days gone by whole another story regarding him mm-hmm. great guy uh, and the deal was we are gonna have outside interests come take a look at the place and make a bid on it and whatever that bid is uh, you guys uh, and this would be the Swanstroms, will be able to match that. And if you match that, then it's yours. Okay. Simple. And they figured, uh, yeah, this place will go for about $10 million. Okay. Triangle Corporation comes along, offers them $23 million. Whoa. Hello. Oh, they were no way prepared for twenty-three, and just really didn't, apparently didn't think that this was a doable thing or not plus the fact that they're getting over two times the amount of money for the shares they hold right oh triangle corporation it is <gasps> goodbye <laughs> yeah, just sign See here ya. Yeah. yes oh, yeah. Mm, okay and uh jack had always wanted to set up a, a different operation uh didn't want to make farrier tools didn't want to make horseshoes wanted to make high class we call them solid joint pliers. Any plier that has a rivet in it, okay, it's called, we call it a solid joint. All right. Precision tools for industry, and he wanted to do it in Wisconsin. Uh, so he set up Swanstrom Tools in Superior, and it's still up and running, doing mm. very well as far as I know. Okay. Uh, his son, uh, John Swanstrom III, is running the operation. Or at least last I heard, I'm, I think he is. And so Triangle Corporation you know, bought the place. Really out, okay. And they had a place also in uh, Orangeburg, South Carolina, Utica Tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, Utica Tool, uh, down there, the uh, there was no union, and uh, labor rates were quite low. And uh, they wanted to move all of Duluth's operations to South Carolina, where they would make a lot more money. And... <sighs> I'm not, I don't even want to say all of, it was somewhat of a debolical that it never really worked that they were able to transfer all or even much of Duluth to Orangeburg. And as they were screwing around with this, floundering as it were, uh, 
Triangle Corporation uh, came around. Uh, Triangle Cooper <laughs> Cooper Group came yeah. around and uh, made an offer uh, to buy it from Triangle, and uh, okay, they sold. And uh, over the years with uh, Triangle, uh, the union in negotiations would go in and okay. It's contract time. How much do we have to give up now so you'll keep everything in Duluth, you know? Mm -hmm. And they would throw numbers out, and the union would take one on the chin. And okay, okay. And uh, Cooper Group bought and announced that they, too, are going to transfer operations to uh, one of their three southern operations. Wait, what year did they buy? Oh, it was in the... We were about 92, 93. Okay. Um and and the union uh, said, well, okay, what concessions do you want from us now? And they said, no, you, you don't understand. We are going to do this. Mm. And it's going to take us about a year to get all this together. And that's exactly what happened. Oh, my gosh. It okay. Moved. So the slogan, the closing of the Diamond Tool slogan was out the door in 94. It was rather catchy, don't you think? Uh, so rhymy and catchy. Oh, yeah. And what? What a shame. You know, those were jobs that uh, were difficult in many ways. It's not like it was digging ditches difficult. Uh, they were uh, meant, it was a mentally difficult job to have, a production job, mm -hmm. a repetitive production job. However, it paid well and it put a lot of bread on a lot of tables in this city uh, for many, many years. And there was, uh, Eight, 800 decent paying jobs that left and the people in the Carolinas uh, were making essentially the same dollars per hour and there's always the uh, you know oh they're just a bunch of slugs down there no I, I was down there and uh, the, the folks there in that uh, factory they worked hard and they did a good job yeah you know it's all of those stereotype things are just dead wrong yeah, and uh, and it was gone. That how was, was that? How was that? Ac how was the actual closing? Because you had there was some time. I mean, you knew it was gonna. This was oh, going down. So what yeah, was what yeah. was it like? It uh, it went down in uh, segments. You know, uh, we are gonna take this now, and uh, all of a sudden it's gone. You know, and uh, now we're gonna take this forging hammer, that forging hammer, and these things had to be disassembled. They're huge and cleaned because you can't transport uh, dirty old greasy uh, hammers mm -hmm. uh, down the road. So it, it withered, it withered away. Uh, the gentleman I mentioned, Hampton Connell, he was a brilliant engineer who uh, designed so many of the, the clever things that were in that factory. Uh, he came through as it was shutting down and uh, his son Wade, friend of my brother's, so I knew Hampton from Diamond Tool, from you know personal, and he came through and he said, "I," he said, "I don't know how to feel about this." He says, "I feel terrible that it's going away," and he said, "I I feel good though because the things I designed and built so many years ago are still considered good enough to disassemble and send away <laughs> and keep using." Sure. So he was really on the fence there. But, yeah, it, it was tough. It was tough to say goodbye to uh, good friends, people I had worked with for 20 years. And at some point uh, during that, uh, 
because of the transference of people. Uh, I got, uh, I was given a, a script to go stand, assemble the people and, and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how many people are going to be laid off. Uh, you know, this is the date it's going to happen uh, from seniority date this to this. And boy, it was all I could do uh, to spit it out that, uh, you know, to tell people that this is when you're losing your job. Yeah. You know, it, and it was one of those responsibilities and things that I certainly couldn't have done uh, in 1975 to go stand in front of people and tell them anything, let alone something like that. Uh, but it it uh, hardens you and makes it uh, pretty easy to stand in front of people and just joke a little and have fun with them compared to delivering news like that. Yeah. So what did what did people move on to do? I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, as you know, and a lot of the world knows, I did go uh, to uh, North Carolina, Monroe, North Carolina, and uh, worked with the horseshoe operation for about a year and a half. And uh, during that time, I I lost track of a lot of people. There were a lot of jobs uh, people took in hospitals, uh, and there were there was just miscellaneous things, mm-hmm. and there's some people that never did get a decent job after that. Wow, yeah. You know, they yep. just kind of languished in it, you know, especially the people who were later 50s, mm-hmm. that uh, by the time you get more training, um, it's all done for you. Right. You know, it's time to retire. So, yeah, it was it was a tough thing for a lot of folks. So, ultimately, are you glad that you worked there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It... Uh, it was a wonderful experience. Um, it, it made me who I am today. Uh, I have to thank uh, your mother and my father-in-law, Tracy Haig, that it was because he worked there that I got a job there. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. I don't know what, what I would have done, who I would have been, um, you know. Uh, yeah, it, it was uh, the last bastion of that kind of factory. Mm-hmm. That the real old time, uh, there was something, you know, you, I, I could, I can't tell people enough of how it was there. You had to be there. You yeah. just had to be there to have the experience. And like any of the uh, work that we do for a long time, and I think in any uh, career, any place, rarely is it the work. It's the people. Mm-hmm. It's all about the people. And there were so many wonderful people there. Well, and it's interesting because it's always uh, when you're working, whatever, like when you get into your kind of quote unquote career job or or a job that you're serious about and you're young, you know, you're in, you're right out of high school or you're oh, in yeah. your early I 20s. 20 yeah. years old. And you get going with that, that, that shapes who you are um, yeah. for years to come. So, oof. Was it, am I bossy? I got over it pretty quickly uh, at home uh, because if I uh, attempted to be bossy at home, uh, your mother would remind me, you're not at work now. You're not the boss. (laughs) 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 
And a point well made. You're right. I, I am trying to be the boss. Check and meet Mary. All right. That's absolutely right. Yeah, that's true. Well, that is quite the saga. Thanks for thanks for the memories and sharing that. Um, but we do have an Ask a Duluthian question. Are you ready? I'm a Duluthian. Go All right. Ahead. Here we go. Dear Gary and Kelly. How do you describe summer in Duluth, and why do you live there when summer is so very short? <laughs> you know, summer is one of the most wonderful weeks of the year. That's what I'll tell you about yeah. <laughs> summer. Uh, when I was down south, uh, it was brought up to me at one time that, how come y'all always say, nice day? Nice day? Why do you say that? It Because... It's always a nice day here. And I said, well, that's just it. You know, where I come from, when it's a nice day, we see it, and we make note of it to each other. That nice day, hey, sure is. Yeah. Oh, yes. And we're somewhat amazed by it. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate it. And, you know, uh, I could, yeah, you can live other places with uh, oppressive heat. Uh, I work with someone right now who's from the Oregon uh, area. And, uh, oh, yeah, they were kind of up on the hill a ways there, and they'd look up, and you could see the fires coming your way. Right. We don't have that. The they also have ba- hurricanes. They have banana yeah. slugs out there, too, which are just huh? they're too big of a slug. Are they good eating? Yeah. I don't It's just very big, oh. big yellow slug. Okay. <laughs> so big. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we yeah. don't have uh, spiders or snakes. That cockroaches. Would, the cockroaches, no, yeah. None too of cold them. for all mm-hmm. those things. Uh, yep. You know, my problems, I can put a coat on or I can uh, shovel away the uh, weather. Right, the right. The worst yep. of the weather. So that's why I live here. That's why I like it. And I love the freshness and the feel of Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. To be away from it when I was in the Carolinas, I love to come home and just go by that lake because... You could smell, hear, feel it beautiful blue that you just don't find many places. True story. Couldn't that's, have said it that's better. That's my answer. I'm myself. sticking with it. So I, um, I'm hearing the bridge is going to start coming oh, down here, yeah. but I want to do. I actually want to do a little shout out. Yeah. So do you, you know Sue Rashenfels? Oh yeah. Yeah. So Sue Rashenfels is a is a listener, and um, Sue likes to listen when she is doing her artwork i heard this oh, she, she likes yes she does yeah. this this watercolor painting and yeah. this mixed media art and i just want to say hey sue and i want you all oh, to check man. out sue Rashenfels art her um on instagram she is uh, wait for that she's at at sue Rashenfels art that's at s-u-e-r-a-u-s-e-h-e-n-f-e-l-s-a-r-t studio Wow. Yeah, I mean, she it's quite the yeah. last oh, name, yeah, but you know very, what? Totally worth it. So, hi. And I, so. I expect uh, $5 of the 10 she gave you to say that. Yeah, <laughs> no, nope, nope. Just uh, sending the love out to our friends. So Very good. Yeah, all right, let's, let's get out of here. Okay, well, right. let's get going. The Getting Bridged podcast is researched and written by Kelly Halston Erickson, Remembered and recorded by Jerry Halston at the Compound on Park Point and produced by Jerry Halston and Kelly Halston Erickson. So we have no one to blame but ourselves. Sources are compiled at rss.com slash podcasts slash gettingbridged. And you can ask questions and comment on our episodes on Instagram at gettingbridged. Joining our Facebook group by searching Getting Bridged Podcast and by emailing us at gettingbridged at gmail.com. 
A special thanks to Mary and Dan, you know who you are, and to the many people in our lives for whom reminiscing is a varsity sport. 